1: Hi, I'm Danielle Petka.
0: And I'm Mark Thiessen.
1: Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Mark, what the hell now?
0: What the hell is going on is we're talking about UNRWA. And for our listeners, Danny, tell us what UNRWA stands for.
1: UNRWA is the United Nations Relief Works Agency for Palestine Refugees, UNRWA. So sounds like a great organization,
0: doesn't it? Helping refugees, right? It's a, it's a good thing. Well, not so much. This has become, uh, known to millions of Americans now because Israel released intelligence showing that at least a dozen members of UNRWA, UNRWA staff from Gaza, participated in the October seven massacres of Jews where they crossed over and killed and massacred and raped and burned. And gosh, I don't even we were just talking before we went on the air about the videos of this and whether or not to see them and you chose not to see them and I have I have chosen not to either. But just horrific, horrific crimes. And then thousands of unremembers on WhatsApp and Telegram channels in, in real time celebrating the murder of innocent Jews, celebrating the capture of these hostages. And this is all being done under the imprimatur of that wonderful organization known as the United Nations.
1: Danny, what what
0: the hell is going on?
1: <laughs> Wait, it gets better. But Mark, it gets better. <laughs> I feel like we're on late night TV. It gets better. The American taxpayer is paying for this, right? The United States has given.
0: That's you, dear listener. <laughs> no. If you're in the United States, you are paying for it. Uh,
1: not, not and, as, not, and if you're not in the
0: United even States, if, if you're, you're not in the any. United
1: States, <laughs> you're paying for it if you're in Germany, if you're in Australia, if you're in Japan, if you're in London, France. All the people are paying for this, and all I can say is the American taxpayer has put in over the last. I let me let me put it at the last three years, probably creeping up on a billion dollars into the United Nations Relief Works Agency. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time talking today with our guest about what's happened since October 7th. But, you know, Mark, I've been in this business a long time. I used to live in the Middle East. Let me tell you something. UNRWA has been in the business of extremism, in the business of terrorism, in the business of creating problems with Palestinian people around the world for decades. I sat at outside a Palestinian refugee camp in Lebanon probably 25, 30 years ago and talked about how terrorists were being trained inside UNRWA facilities about how UNRWA was watching as extremism was being celebrated. UNRWA was around teaching the children who eventually went and committed the Munich Olympics massacre in 1972. UNRWA has been part and parcel of the Palestinian issue and of the terrorism that has arisen out of it for decades this is just what has happened since october 7th is just the apotheosis of it
0: absolutely so i want to play a little bit of a video uh, that was posted of children at an unruh schools who are being interviewed and i'm going to play and i just want you to hear their voices because they're these are very small children uh, and i'm going to read you because it's subtitled if we're not on youtube so you can't read the subtitles So we're just going to play a little bit of this and then i'm and i'm going to read you the subtitles
1: <laughs>
0: so what this little girl is saying we have to make war to prove that we are stronger than the Jews People love Palestine and they are ready to die for Palestine I want to fight against them, the Jews, and defeat them in war. We know that the Jews are the same, and that, we us, and that we Palestine and the land because they the Jews and that under the Jews, and at school, they teach us that Al-Aqsa and of all of Palestine is ours. The Jews lie and they say that their temple is under the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It was never there. The yeah. I hate the Jews. Learn, oh.
1: the are our our they do
0: yes, they teach us that Zionists are our enemy and we must fight them. They teach us that Jews are terrorists. At school, they teach us about Jews. They teach us that they are bad people. They killed our young. I am ready to stab a Jew and drive a car over them. I will fight, says this boy. I will ram a car into them, the
1: Jews.
0: We have to constantly stab them, drive over them, and shoot them, the Jews. Right now, I'm willing to be a suicide bomber. With Allah's help, I will fight for ISIS, the Islamic State. It go, it goes on. If you look at the pictures, these are these are kids. They look like the kids your kids go to school. With. I hope not. These are elementary and middle school kids, and they they look like nice, innocent kids in a playground talking. And they've been taught this at UNRWA schools funded with your tax dollars. This this is what's happening. And then you wonder how October seventh could happen. It happened because of UNRWA. It happened because of UNRWA indoctrination. It happened because your taxpayer dollars are have gone to teach Palestinian kids in Gaza that they should be suicide bombers, that they should stab Jews, that they should run them over with with cars, that they should rape and kill them. They're being taught this every day in their classrooms, and you wonder and people wonder why October 7th happened. It's because of the propaganda and the brainwashing from organizations like UNRWA.
1: So you wonder where Hamas gets 35,000 fighters from. They are being trained for this. I wanted to mention that on the day that we're recording this podcast, a 14-year-old boy from East Jerusalem tried to stab an Israeli. And, uh, uh, you know, listening to those children say, you know, uh, that they wanted to stab Jews with their knives. uh, Yeah, that's where 14-year-old boys come with knives to try to kill uh, Israelis. And, of course, you know, I I don't know whether, I don't think he actually ended up killing anybody, uh, but he was shot to death. This is unconscionable. Not that this child was shot after trying to murder people, but that he is being indoctrinated by evil. I'll tell you something, Mark. Um, You know, if you apply to, to teach in a school, you know, they do a criminal background check. They make sure you're not a pedophile. You're not a wanted criminal. You know, they make sure of lots of things. UNRWA does not screen any of its employees for ties to terrorism. UNRWA does not check With any of its suppliers or its uh, recipients of its aid programs, whether their money is being diverted, whether their aid is being diverted, they don't care. But I would go further. I think they're actually perfectly comfortable with it. And the amazing thing to me is that in the wake of incontrovertible revelations that have caused all of these countries to cut off their money for UNRWA for the moment, the United Nations is totally comfortable with what UNRWA has been doing.
0: OK, just to underscore what you said, Danny. So there was a poll in 2016 done in in Gaza and the West Bank. And they asked, to what extent do you support or oppose the continuation of knife attacks against Israelis? And in the West Bank, 42 percent said that they uh, support knife attacks. Th- those are the moderates in the West Bank in Gaza, seventy nine percent of the population supports stabbing innocent Israelis in knife attacks. Um, that that's what we're dealing with here. and here's the here's the problem is that everyone keep the Biden administration and for lots of domestic political reasons, they're terrified of losing Michigan um and the Arab vote, which which they depend on to to win there. And so there's lots of political pressures on them. But they keep pushing for a two-state solution. How can you have a two-state solution? with a population where 79% of the population supports knife attacks against innocent Israeli civilians.
1: Well, this is this is the, the problem. You
0: can't have peace, you can't have a state. We've talked about this before and, and we've debated it a little bit because you mostly because you don't believe that we did a good jo- a good enough job of denazification after World War II. But after World War II, There was at least some level of a process where in order for West Germany to become a state and for East Germany even to become a state, there had to be some recognition of the crimes that were taking place. The Nazi Party had to be banned. There were war crimes trials. The population was forced in some level, and it was truncated because of the start of the Cold War and a new adversary. But there was a a forced confrontation with with their complicity in the crimes. There cannot be – we can't even discuss – having a Palestinian state until the Palestinian people are forced to conf- confront their complicity in October 7th, their complicity in the terrorism that has t- taken place, their complicity in the rapes and the murders and the, and the burnings that took place that day of, of thousands of Israel. This was not, I, t- I talk about this in, in, with our guest, but you know, my mother fought the Nazis and she would always say, I didn't fight the Nazis, I fought the Germans. And this Israel right now is not just fighting Hamas, though they would tell you they're fighting They're to destroy Hamas. They're fighting a Hamas that is backed by the Palestinian people. And until there is some process of de-Hamasification and undoing the damage that UNRWA has done with decades and decades of propaganda and brainwashing, there can never be peace. There can never be a two-state solution unless that process is undone and the damage of this this indoctrination is undone.
1: Well, I'm not I'm not sure that, as as I've said more than once before in this conversation, that that that, that sort of you know de-Hamasification is is entirely possible. But it I may will not, say that it, it and may, that it means the may, it may state not. Is not possible. Well, you know, actually. That that's right. A Palestinian state isn't possible until there's a partnership for peace. And and you know the problem here is, UNRWA and its staff have become intrinsic to the problem, not to the solution. You know, I, I think I think our guest actually does a wonderful job laying out how UNRWA has become sort of structurally unlike. Almost any other agency in the United Nations, because it is fundamentally about perpetuating the problem of Palestinian statelessness, Palestinian extremism, Palestinian terrorism, and not about solving the problems of these people. And and in fact, it is committed not simply to that, but to uh, but to indoctrinating tiny young children into this sort of death cult. It is heartbreaking. It's wrong.
0: But the last thought, if if you can break that death cult, you can, you know, what the beauty of the world is, is that those young children, if they're not being indoctrinated, actually don't grow up believing this stuff. It, didn't take very long for a new generation of Germans to turn their backs on Nazism. We were allies with the Germans very quickly after that. So you just, you, if you if you can break the cycle of indoctrination and let a new generation rise up, uh, it takes a while for the last generation to die off. And maybe maybe the Israeli the IDF can help speed that process along. But you can quickly raise up a generation that is that actually doesn't believe this crap.
1: Well. Uh, that assumes that uh, a very a very different set of circumstances, I think, Mark, than occurred in 1945, but that's a fight we can have over a martini someday. Let's welcome our guest. Uh, he's not been on with us with us before, but he's an old friend. Uh, Jonathan Shanzer is the senior vice president for research at the Foundation for War Defense of Democracies. He worked as a terrorism finance analyst at the Department of the Treasury, where he followed and froze money that was going to Hamas and al-Qaeda. He's been previously at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy and at the Middle East Forum. He's written an enormous amount on this, and he's recently testified, really influential testimony before Congress, on the question of what to do about UNRWA.
0: Here's our interview. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be with you. So you uh, just testified on Capitol Hill about that storied organization, UNRWA. There are reports from Israeli intelligence that at least 12 members of UNRWA participated in the October 7th attacks and that thousands more celebrated them on Telegram. And it seems like there are a lot of Hamas people in UNRWA. Unpack this for us. Tell our listeners what they need to know.
2: So first of all, it was actually my colleague, Rich Goldberg, who had the most recent testimony on UNRWA. I've testified uh, about UNRWA multiple other times leading up to this moment. But really, the problem with UNRWA is, well, it goes back almost to the beginning of the conflict. And you have to understand, this is an organization that was created in the immediate aftermath of the Declaration of Independence by the State of Israel. It was designed initially to deal with a relatively small problem. And that was that there were something like 600,000 Palestinian refugees who were forced out of their homes or lost their homes in a war that, of course, they declared on Israel back in 1948-49. In but UNRWA was created to try to deal with this problem. Now, the very fact that UNRWA had a mandate was a bit strange, because when we think about the refugee issues everywhere else around the world, there is one agency and one agency only, and that is the UN High Commissioner for Refugees. And yet somehow the Palestinians have this agency dealing with their refugee crisis, sui generis. So now over the years, first UNRWA became part of the narrative that every one of these refugees would go home. And that, of course, meant that they weren't talking about, you know, two-state solution. They were talking about the destruction of the state of Israel. So that was problematic. But nobody seemed to mind a whole lot back then. Then what we began to see is the creation of new refugees by this agency. So in other words, rather than resettling them, they created this process where the descendants of refugees were also considered refugees. To the point that today, rather than 600,000, we have 5.9 million people claiming refugee status. That is an insane number, and of course, mathematically impossible, given that the vast majority of the original refugees have passed away due to old age and sickness and everything else. So these are the sort of core problems. But then in recent years, specifically since the 2007 Hamas takeover of the Gaza Strip, UNRWA became a partner in the governing of Gaza. And in so doing, they not only produced a ton of just terrible material in the schools and in the kind of cultural areas where they're active, but we began to see Hamas guys firing rockets next to schools and hospitals run by UNRWA tunnels under those facilities. And um, now all of a sudden we're hearing about actual fighters. We've long heard about some of the people that have been you know, teachers and moonlighting as Hamas, and they were dismissed. And it was driving the Israelis crazy that no one was listening. Well, I think right now, a lot of people are listening, especially now that UNRWA has at least seen a temporary pause in funding by the United States, as well as a number of other Western states. So now the question is, will they finally collapse this rotten UN organization, or will it live to fight another day?
1: So, Jonathan, thank you, first of all, for being with us. I want to work backwards, if you will, because I think the history of UNRWA is important, but I think the place that you start with, um, which is the the rot at the center of it, is really important. So, of course, you're you're 100% right about Gaza. Ever since Hamas took over, UNRWA has really been integral to the functioning of Gaza for so long that it was almost a seamless transition for them to meld themselves with the Hamas leadership. But they've gone further than that, right? So tell people a little bit about what Hamas, what, oh, slip of the tongue there, what UNRWA does in <laughs> Gaza, <laughs> Freudian and factual, and what, what UNRWA does in Gaza for the people in the Strip?
2: Well, I would actually argue that it doesn't do much. But what they advertise on their website is that they provide food and medicine and education and a whole range of social services to the people of Gaza. And, you know, a lot of people would say, well, that's great and because the people of Gaza need it. And I actually would say, yeah, maybe, but why is the government – in Gaza not doing that? Why do they have a UN agency doing this so that Hamas doesn't have to spend the money in order to handle these services? In other words, what's happened here is that UNRWA went out and, and they've spent you know uh, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars in international assistance to provide for the food and medicine and other services that we're talking about here. And that is essentially material support to Hamas. In other words, it took Hamas off the hook. They didn't have to deal with the services that were required by the 2.2 million people living in Gaza, living, by the way, in in squalor in in many cases. Hamas had almost zero responsibilities. And so while UNRWA was doing all of this, Hamas was busy building a military infrastructure beneath the ground. What we now see is 350 miles worth of uh, commando tunnels that the Israelis have uncovered. That is larger than the London underground. That is insane. But the only way that I believe that Hamas could have actually done this is if they didn't have to worry about the day-to-day governance in the Gaza Strip. And, And by the way, we've seen Hamas leaders talk about this, where they say, we're not worried about the people of Gaza. Our job is resistance. Our job is fighting Israel. And so therefore, we left all of this to UNRWA, So that we could go about our daily job, which is devising new and creative ways to kill Israelis and to bring uh, war to Israel.
1: So I agree a hundred percent that this is what has happened, and you know we see this in lots of places. We see lots and lots of this. You know, for example, with Iran, where we make it easier for them to make money fungible, even as the Biden administration assures us that it's only going to be spent on humanitarian goods. It's like, yes, but that's not how it works. But I think I think the picture you paint for people is only half the story, and I know you know the the rest of the story, and I want to hear it from you. And that is, what is being taught in UNRWA schools? What are the messages? What is the environment? What are the Palestinian children and people getting from UNRWA leadership in Gaza? Well, they're getting
2: poison. Um, it's funny. That's like the last thing that I think of, Danny, when, when, I, when I think about all the crimes of, of Onra. But you're 100 percent right to point it out. I mean, so first they started talking about how everybody who called themselves a refugee, again, descendants of refugees or the original refugees, that they were going to go home and that ultimately that they were going to reclaim the territory that they call Palestine. And so they were being fed this by Onra for many years. They were actually a cornerstone of this really toxic nationalist ideology, irredentism, right? Uh, Plain and simple. But then I think you you need to look at at what they've done more recently. And that's where you start to look at the textbooks where, you know, the math uh, equations are like, well, you know, if you have one martyr and then you add another nine martyrs, how many do you have, right? Where they start using the terminology that Hamas will wield every day in the media, they have allowed that to trickle into the textbooks and into the programming that they see every day, right? That um, sounds like
0: Fairfax Public Schools.
2: Uh, yeah, more or less. <laughs> well, probably a little bit more, but not by much, right? Um, and, and so what they've done is they, they've normalized this idea you know, of jihadism. They've normalized this idea of killing Israelis. And the fact that this was happening with U.S. taxpayer dollars, with taxpayer dollars from other countries, other allied Western countries around the world, was insane. And again, the Israelis were going nuts about this 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Everybody sort of yawned about this because they just said, well, it's rhetoric and of course they hate you and you know that's not going to change. But I think what we can now say with certainty was that all of this was just a symptom of what was happening a little bit Further beneath the surface, you know, as we now know, it's not just that there are twelve hundred fighters, but in fact, a handful of them took part in the ten seven slaughter. Um, there was a WhatsApp group of UNRWA employees that were cheering on the slaughter of ten seven and and begging for more. In other words, the rot goes deep here. It's actual violence. It's incitement to violence. It's the normalization of violence. It's It should be unthinkable within the U.N. system. But even right now, we're seeing that the U.N. Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, is not even talking about shutting this down. I mean, UNRWA is out there saying, we need more money. And and the U.N. seems to be backing this up. And we're finding, I mean, crazy stories coming out of Europe. I think Spain and Portugal are now giving more money to make up for what the U.S. has cut Temporarily, And the U.S. is not even sure that we're going to keep a permanent cut to funding in UNRWA. What we should be doing is finding another agency. It's not like there aren't other U.N. agencies that could fulfill the functions of UNRWA without the terrorism, without the sort of genocidal rhetoric. We can easily find replacements here. We're just not doing it.
0: You lead me to the question I was going to ask. I mean, UNRWA's existed for decades, but only now has the Biden administration, which is, you know, from a the pro u n side of the American political spectrum, cut them off. There are eighteen countries that have suspended their funding to UNRA. I mean, what changed to cause all these countries to suddenly wake up and realize that their funding was supporting terror? Is it the, just the twelve just the twelve people who participated? Is it the Telegram channels? What, or is it just has the whole thing just caught up?
2: Oh, I think them? the whole thing's caught up, and this this narrative has been building from ten seven, but certainly even well before that, as the Israelis have been complaining, and as you know, uh, advocates of Israel here in the U.S. have have been talking about till they've been blue in the face, in testimony, and in books, and in you know articles, no one seemed to care. But but I think actually the the thing that finally broke the dam was the Israelis pulling together intelligence and sharing it with the United States and sharing it with other allied countries, showing beyond a shadow of a doubt that UNRWA was involved not only in the 10-7 slaughter, but that UNRWA has been involved in terrorist operations uh, going back for quite some time. You know, when the Israelis pull out that intel, people do trust it at the end of the day, right? The Shin Bet and the Mossad in particular, I think, are highly trusted, And when they share it intel to intel, it's not something that can be dismissed. And so that finally happened here. It does make you wonder why the Israelis didn't do this sooner, because they think we could have maybe put a stop to some of this sooner. But they've done it now, and people are finally talking about it. But honestly, I'm still concerned that the Biden administration is putting a pin in this. It's just a temporary pause. It's not a long-term fix. It's not, I mean, they should be tearing this thing apart. They should be destroying it and creating something else. There should not be local uh, workers from Gaza involved here. There should be outsiders only. It should be trusted NGOs doing this. It should be trusted UN agencies doing it. And yes, there should be a discussion about the resettlement of the original refugees and a rejection of the idea that this can be handed down in perpetuity uh, to the progeny of the original refugees. It has created an unsolvable problem. And that's just not how the UN is supposed to work. At least, I mean, I mean, I think the UN does create more problems than it solves, but, but creating problems in perpetuity, that seems even a little bit more beyond
0: for the UN in my view. Now talk to us a little bit about the brainwashing um, and the indoctrination, because this seems to be the root of the problem, in the entire Israeli-Palestinian conflict beyond just October 7th. I, I was, I've I—I told Danny this before, and I've talked about it on the podcast. My mother fought in the Warsaw Uprising against the Nazis. Uh, they took back the city of Warsaw for 63 days. And I would always say, oh, my mother fought the Nazis. And my mother would always correct me, and she'd say, no, I fought the Germans. And it was an important distinction because the German people were complicit in Hitler's crimes, and they supported Hitler in large part. And you could not have a normal Germany living side by side with the rest of Europe until there was a process of denazification. And I don't mean the like the like what debathification in in Iraq, which went so poorly. But there was a process of forcing them to confront their crimes, forcing the German people to uh, to, uh, you know, the, the trials and all the rest of this. And it seems like there can't be a two, you know everyone's pushing for a two-state solution how can you have a two-state solution when 80 percent of the population thinks that october 7th was just fine like isn't this isn't this unruh and what they're doing the reason why you can't have a palestinian state
2: it is among the reasons by the way i'll just note debathification may not have gone as poorly as you think i, I don't see much of the bath <laughs> party anymore in iraq but maybe that's that's another episode for another time um, yes. And maybe with Michael Rubin and not with me, but, but l- let me just say um, you know I, I believe that UNRWA is a huge part of the problem. You have an indoctrination of, of 2.2 million Gazans where you see the way that the kids have responded to this, that they've bought into a certain culture. you see it obviously adults continuing to embrace this notion. That, uh, you know, Israel's a temporary problem and that eventually these people are going to go back, even though we've now seen 75 years, a track record now of a country that's not going anywhere. You know, UNRWA has been part of this narrative that Israel is going to go away. And then, of course, this makes them wildly popular in the Gaza Strip. This is a narrative that is parroted or maybe even originated by Hamas, but it's actually not even really rejected by the PLO by Fatah, by the the so-called pragmatists or the moderates within the Palestinian political arena. And so what you have is actually, I mean, there's a bigger problem even that maybe we could point out here. And that is that the international community has allowed for this garbage to go on for as long as it has. That, in other words, these narratives come out of the Palestinian political space, and they continue to call for the destruction of the state of Israel. They continue to call for genocide. They call for for basically wiping out a country of 10 million people. And no one says, "Wait a minute, that's a really bad idea." You are agitating for war. You are raising future generations of people that are continuing to talk in this way, and that is not what we want to support any longer. So. As the international community, we're going to cut this off. We're going to nip it in the bud. That has never happened. There have been a couple of moments where they've tried to address the textbooks. Okay, you know, maybe they got a few revisions here and there, but it really didn't change anything. And we always heard from UNRWA, well, we get our textbooks from other places, you know, like Saudi Arabia. Great. OK, um, those are probably the old textbooks now that the Saudis don't use anymore because they've gone through, a, 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 you know, a, a process of reform. So there's a real problem, I think, in the way that the international community has tiptoed around the Palestinian cause, where they've allowed for this kind of thing to happen for too long. And UNRWA has unfortunately been a significant facilitator of these narratives,
1: I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and, And I think we should underscore to our listeners as well that while we're talking today about UNRWA complicity, UNRWA support for UNRWA indoctrination in Gaza, the reality is that UNRWA exists in Jordan and in Lebanon and around the region. And the same ideological rot, the same textbooks, the same problem exists in all of their facilities. Uh, the only thing you can say about some of them is, "Oh well, at least UNRWA is not there anymore. They're being managed mostly by Al Qaeda."
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, look, the the thing the True. thing that people don't get, and it's a great point, is you know, go go, you go up to Lebanon. And uh, you go to the refugee camps there, and those camps are literally run by radical groups. The Lebanese army can't go in, right? And so these radical groups govern there, much in the same way that Hamas is governed in the Gaza Strip. And so, of course, this is the same garbage that the kids are going to be taught, the culture that is imbued uh, within the population. It's never going to change. The radicalization levels are so incredibly high there, you can't imagine it. Then you go to Jordan, basically the same problem. I mean, you know, look, you could say that at least in Jordan, people are able to leave the camps, fine, but they're still being indoctrinated with this garbage. And then even you go to the West Bank, and this, this does raise the question that I, I've always wondered how is it that you can be living in the Palestinian Authority, right? You can be living under that government, and yet still Find yourself getting services from a refugee agency when you're living in Palestine. How is that even possible, right? So there are these crazy, weird standards. And by the way, if you're living in an UNRWA facility in the what they call the refugee camp of Janine, you are living at a much lower standard of living than you would if you're living just across town in regular Janine. And this has been a way that UNRWA has—actually, they've ensured misery. They've guaranteed misery among the people, and again, 5.9 million people are on the registry of UNRWA, and these people are, they've been turned into human symbols of the Palestinian cause, and they are by definition miserable because the surrounding Arab states and the Palestinian people themselves want them to remain miserable, so they stay angry and want to defeat Israel
1: in a future war. I couldn't agree more. and I mean, that's the. Game. I literally just wrote a piece about this. When it eventually appears, I'll send it to you. Actually, what I wanted to ask, but I, I'm so riled up by this topic. I wanted to talk to you a little about money. Mark and I both worked at the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. We know uh, who writes the checks. And yet I look at this and I see in 2022, when we were already aware of this problem, the United States gave $344 million dollars to UNRWA, not all directly through the State Department, but through other agencies, through the Refugee Bureau, through AID as well. The much-vaunted Biden administration cutoff of UNRWA because of these concerns has blocked, no joke, only $300,000 because every other penny of the money appropriated by Congress has already been handed over. Okay, the Biden administration, the State Department. All right, we know they suck. Okay, but what's wrong with Congress? You testified before these guys. What is happening there?
2: In short, I don't know. I think again, you know, (laughs) this this idea of tiptoeing around the Palestinians. almost infantilizing them to a certain extent like well they need this and they can't do it without us and you know we need to just make sure i mean there is also by the way a fear of the so called arab street there's nothing that that makes anybody more afraid than you know angry arab populations that are upset with the united states there has just been a lot of this and and look you know what needs to be understood here is if you want to give money to the palestinians because of the poverty that, uh, you know, uh, let's just say a segment of the population is wrestling with, or if you want to deal with the education issues, fine. You know, I mean, if that's how we want to allocate our funds, that's great. Why do it through an agency that is already known to be providing material support to Hamas, allowing their fighters to operate underground, allowing their fighters to fire rockets from within the compounds of the schools and hospitals that they operate. We should know better, right? We should know that this is a rotten address for American aid. And I think most people know. We're just afraid to pull the plug on this thing because of the political message of what UNRWA stands for, right? This is an organization that supports people who say that they have a right to return to their homes from 1948. And if you tell them that they can't, then they go bananas. And uh, it was interesting, but you remember Saib Erekat, the former PLO negotiator, passed away a couple of years ago. There was a massive scandal uh, with him at the center of it because there were were documents that were leaked, ironically, by Al Jazeera of all places, uh, showing that he had agreed to the idea that Refugees were not going home, that there was going to have to be some kind of a settlement. And the Palestinian people went bonkers on him. And it's that thats that concern, it's the, that kind of issue right there that I think is ultimately getting at our, our members of Congress. They're not ready
0: to say this out loud yet for fear of what the fallout might be. So talk a little bit about the diversion of aid that's supposed to go to improve the lives of the Palestinians. So you started out at the conversation by talking about how basically UNRWA took over the governance of Gaza, which allowed the Hamas to focus on attacking Israel and plotting against Israel. But we all saw the videos after October 7th of the Hamas fighters literally digging up water pipes and turning them into rockets. And it seems like a lot of the aid that went in was not actually even going to the Palestinian people. It was going to Hamas to build stuff that was getting diverted. Talk a little bit about how the international community has essentially funded Hamas's war on Israel. Well, it's
2: multi-layered. One of the things that I remember most from a trip that I took to Israel, gosh, it was probably about five years ago, it was right before COVID, and I went and took a tour of the tunnels that the Israelis had discovered that went from Gaza into Israel, just in that, you know, uh, Gaza envelope, as it was known. And within those tunnels, you see that, you know, they're made basically of cement, you know, pre-cut pieces that help support the tunnel structure. But in the areas where there were gaps between the cement structures that they brought in and the actual tops of the tunnels, they didn't want those tunnels to collapse. So what do they put in there bags of cement or sand, um, that had the UNRWA label on them. In other words, it was about as clear as you could see that Hamas was using aid that was coming in from UNRWA for its tunnel-building process. And and so I remember looking at that, and sort of smoke is coming out of my ears. But there's a lot of other things that came through that people don't realize. Pretty much all the food and other assistance that comes through, even medicine, right, Hamas was the sovereign between 2007 and 2023. Right now, I'd say it's pretty difficult to make the argument that they're still sovereign there. They've lost 75, 75% of their fighting force. And you look at the structures on the ground, they don't govern much. Um, but they, for a long time, were taking a nice chunk of change from taxes. And people, you know, people always talk about the money, right? follow the money. Yes, Iran gave Hamas, you know, two, three hundred million dollars a year. Um, You know, the Qataris, disgusting, you know, right now they're negotiating right now a hostage deal and they were giving Hamas 30 million dollars a month. Um, But what Hamas was doing on top of that was all the aid that came in. As soon as it hit Hamas-controlled territory, they would decide what they wanted to sell to their people and what they wanted to keep for themselves. We did not see a lot of oh, let's just let this stuff go through to the people who need it. It was part of a uh, system that Hamas created where they benefited financially or politically, you know, sustaining control. They used UNRWA to keep control financially and politically. No question about it.
1: Jonathan, I think that the point that you made about the right of return is actually very, very much at the heart of this whole conversation, because everything else we're talking about is sort of symptoms of the the problem, right? You know, Hamas ended up governing Gaza because Fatah and the PLO were so corrupt that the population turned to Hamas, which had a reputation for relative cleanliness, which, of course, has turned out to be untrue. And, you know, we we see this, this all happening. But, of course, it is the question of Palestinian territory and a Palestinian state that is at the heart of this. And while there have been fights about land and fights about Jerusalem and fights about where people live, one of the biggest sticking points, the biggest false sticking points, is this notion of the right of return, right? What is that? For our listeners, it is. The idea that everybody who ever lived in territory that was ever claimed by Palestine, quote unquote, should be allowed to come back to the state of Israel, no matter whether there's an agreement between Israel and Palestine, reclaim their land and their lost buildings, their lost assets, whatever it is. And therefore, right, through that, internally destroy the state of Israel. UNRWA is the heart of that claim. Because it is because of that that they have inflated the number and increased it to almost 6 million people in order to make this case. I mean, I, I know I'm a nerd and this is something that I've done all my life, so I realize I'm coming back to this. But fundamentally, isn't that what UNRWA is all about? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is that claim? No, Can you help explain it to people more intelligently and lucidly I, than no, I just I think mean, you did
2: quite a good job of it, Daddy? I mean, the, the point here is that this <laughs> agency exists to perpetuate the Palestinian refugee issue, okay? Every other U.N. agency is dedicated to resettling and reintegrating and solving crises, ending crises— that's what you do. So you have people that you know, you know, had to flee a war zone, and there, there's no UN agency demanding that people from Rwanda go back to their homes, right? And we, I mean, millions and millions of people have been resettled in the world, the post World War II era, right? According to these principles, this is what the High Commissioner for Refugees does. UNRWA does not. UNRWA has not resettled anyone. There are no solutions to the Palestinian problem. It is only the perpetuation of the Palestinian problem. And that has been UNRWA's position from very early on. There will be no resettlement of refugees. We will add more refugees to the roster, even though they're not refugees. There was was actually that famous uh, series of tweets that Mike Pompeo put out in the waning days of the Trump administration where he said that the total number of refugees are under 200,000. This was the Secretary of State doing this. People went nuts, right? Because he was talking about math, right? I mean, these are actual numbers. By the way, I don't even think that those numbers are real. I've heard estimates from the Israelis that it's probably under 35,000 of the original 600,000 refugees from 1948 or 49. Look, I don't know how you get to the right number here. You know, that delta between 35,000 and 200,000 is significant in the sort of context that we're talking about here. But bottom line, UNRWA had no interest, has no interest in solving this problem. They look at the Palestinian refugees or the so-called refugees on their registry as clients, not as people who need assistance and that ultimately you want to get them off the books. They have been trying to keep them on the books and to augment their numbers over the years to the point that actually right now, I believe there are 11,000 more people working. I think it's 30,000 total employees at UNRWA right now versus 19,000 at the UN High Commissioner for Refugees. So they have 11,000 more people for a population maybe of, you know, 200,000, possibly closer to 35,000. Whereas the High Commissioner for Refugees, right, they're supposed to take on the rest of the world and they're making do with less. How does this make any sense? In what world do we inhabit? Right. This is it, it truly is insanity.
0: So. Here's what you're hearing from UNRWA and from Gutierrez and from all the, the uh, pro-Hamas or, sorry, pro-Palestinian, uh, there's my there's my Freudian slip again, uh, copying Danny, people, is that, so you're going to punish millions of Palestinians because of the crimes of 12 people who participated on October 7th. What's, what's the answer to that? The answer is
2: you don't need to punish
0: anybody. Crazy.
2: No, but I mean by cutting
0: off funding for UNRWA. Palestinians are, I'm just playing devil's advocate yeah. here, obviously, but you know, the Palestinian there's a there's a war going on. Israel is is on the offensive. The poor Palestinians are caught in the crossfire. They need food. They need blankets. They need all these things. And 12 people participate in October 7th. And so you're going to cut off all the funding for the one agency that is on the ground helping right. them.
2: Well, I mean, first of all, let's just be clear, what the Israelis shared was not just the 12 people, but that there was 1,200 people, roughly you know, 10% of the local Gazans working for UNRWA um, were involved in Hamas terrorist activity. That's a major problem. 10% is not a few bad apples. 10% is a significant chunk, enough for people to start to worry about what it is that this organization is trying to accomplish and, and, and how it's been run. But then I think gets to the broader question, which is, okay, Palestinians need assistance in Gaza. I will be the first to tell you that that is one hundred percent true. If you look at the misery there, the lack of, you know, uh, of supplies, the illness, the people who are internally displaced—no question. I mean, it's actually kind of ironic um, and sad that right now, for the first time, we have actual refugees in Gaza, as opposed to all of those that have been on UNRWA's registry who were not actually refugees; they had homes. Um, Now those homes have, unfortunately, many of them have been destroyed in this war launched by Hamas. But then the question becomes, what do you do to help them? And I think the answer is, bring in aid, bring in assistance, have the UN help if the UN wants to help. Don't let it be this organization that has been infiltrated by Hamas that has created a lot of the problems that we're dealing with right now and never solved them. That is really the answer. And so, you know, my answer has been consistently bring in an agency, literally any other agency other than UNRWA. I don't care who does it. It just cannot be this organization that has been complicit in the perpetuation of the conflict that is now taking yet another horrible toll on the Middle East. And UNRWA is once again right at the center of it.
1: I think you're exactly right. So exit question for me. You, in in this super testimony that you gave before uh, the House, first of all, you underscored this. You know, yes, there are victims who are Israelis of UNRWA and there have been over the years. But of course, it's the Palestinians who are are being screwed by their leaders and by these corrupt organizations that are allowing food to be stolen and, and Salafi Islam to be taught and all of this. All right. How do we fix it? What are your recommendations? Does UNRWA need to just be abolished or what?
2: No, it needs to be abolished. There needs to be another agency that comes in. And does what UNRWA does. I mean, look, I would actually prefer that the Palestinian Authority, I mean, we keep talking about day after scenarios. If you're going to revitalize the Palestinian Authority, well, first of all, let's get some new leaders in there that are not 89 years old and, you know, born one day after water was invented. And I mean, it's insane that the <laughs> leaders of the Palestinian Authorities are the most corrupt Autocratic octogenarian idiots that you can possibly think of,
0: and in, in, I
1: thought you might have been. I thought you talking about, about
0: America. <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> We're setting a great example yeah, here.
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe they're just following in the footsteps of our vaunted democracy. Um, but yeah, there is no democracy there, and really, it is truly autocratic and, and horrible. Um, so, if, look, if you're going to try to revitalize the PA. Um, then maybe maybe have them do what should have been done in the first place, which is there should be, you know, a, a government handling government services. God forbid, right, that a government would actually do this and be responsible to its own people. But there are bigger problems, too, because, you know, I mean, we didn't talk about it here today, but Hamas and and, uh, and the PA are at war with, with one another. I mean, they're literally, there is, they're, you know, People talk about a two-state solution. There are two Palestinian statelets right now, and they're not governed by the same entity. So you need to solve that. You need to create a more functioning government. You need to get UNRWA out of there. You need to get a different agency, someone else, providing that kind of assistance in the short term with a long-term plan that gets the government providing for the people again. That's really what we need to be doing here, but the idea of keeping a UN agency in perpetuity operating in a disputed territory where it's taking one side against the other and actually inciting to violence, this does not sound like peacekeeping. It doesn't sound like stability. It sounds like insanity.
0: Well, you've unpacked the insanity for our listeners. I wish everyone had the same moral clarity as you do, but maybe in the wake of October 7, things will change. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and enlightening our listeners. Appreciate it. Pleasure, guys. So, Danny, what do you think?
1: You know, what sticks with me is, you know, bad people are bad people. And that goes for the terrorists and the facilitators and and the United Nations people who celebrate murder and who, who create an environment for murder. But what the hell is wrong with us? I I okay I expect nothing from people who who among them have celebrated what happened on October 7th. I expect nothing from from Hamas. I expect almost nothing from the Palestinian Authority. From the US Congress, I have a slightly higher standard. And not a penny of this money goes without our Congress signing on the dotted line. It is incredible to me that Congress has not acted, and and damn it, it's not just about Republicans, why Republicans and Democrats together have not been able to build a consensus that we need to end this funding for UNRWA once and for all. It is a black mark on our State Department and on AID and on our Congress that they pay for these killers. They pay their salaries.
0: Well, it took proof that 12 people may may bring this whole scheme down, uh, 12 people participating in the October 7th massacres, but thousands more celebrating it, thousands more celebrating it, and they, they work for UNRWA.
1: I wish that you were right. Let me tell you, it took those 12 people and those 1,200 who were murdered, right, on October 7th to wake people up a little bit, but there are negotiations going on right now. There are conference negotiations going on right now about funding for United States foreign operations in FY 24, right, and FY 25. And I can tell you that there is no slam dunk in those negotiations for cutting off money for UNRWA. The Senate doesn't want to do it. And that includes Senate Republicans.
0: Well, I don't understand the Republicans, but I can tell you uh, the Democrats. I, I can explain it in one word. Dearborn. Gross. Dearborn, Michigan. It's all it is. If the residents of Dearborn, the Arab American residents in Dearborn, who are now in open revolt against the Biden administration, don't vote for Joe Biden, Joe Biden loses Michigan, and if he loses Michigan, he could lose the presidency. And that's what what Democrats are worried about right now. Um, and all of this rest of this, everything we've said in this podcast, be damned, because it's all about power. So I, I agree with you that uh, I don't hold my my hopes up, but you know what? It, for the first time, 19 countries, I think 18 countries, it is have cut off have cut off aid. Many of them are East European allies who get this better than almost anybody else does. New Europe versus old Europe, though Germany, I think, is one of them as well. It is. I, I just, if if you at all care, if you if you profess to believe in a two state solution, and you still, despite everything that's happened, hold out hope that maybe one day that's possible, the only way it's ever possible is if we dismantle UNRWA. Because literally, it is the poison that it, that is feeding the Palestinian people. The poison that is making it impossible for having two states living side by side in peace, as the as the mantra goes. And as long as UNRWA exists, there will never be a Palestinian state because the Palestinians won't want a two-state solution. They
1: want a one-state solution. That's what UNRWA is all about. They
0: want a one-state solution. They want the destruction. And so if you believe in a two-state solution, if you profess to believe in a two-state solution, get rid of the propaganda machine that is feeding the Palestinians the idea that there is a one-state solution and it's not Israel, Uh, because that's what UNRWA does day in, day out. I mean, yes— they, their people participated in October 7th. Yes, they celebrated it. Yes, they're they're abusing hostages and all the rest of it. But that's just the latest. What they really do, what their bread and butter is, is feeding poison to Palestinian children to make them want to hate and kill Jews. They've been doing it for decades. And until they are defunded, then none of it, there's never going to be a two-state solution. So if you believe in a two-state solution, defund UNRWA, period.
1: Amen to that, Mark Thiessen. Finally, Amen. Uh, Finally, we're going to end on a moment of accord, and a rare occurrence indeed. Hey, thanks for listening. Oh, folks. we
0: end on accord all the time. Oh, yeah. Fine. I'm just. No one believes you in your propaganda. I'm
1: just perpetuating the myth that we hate each other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, Mark, by the way, one of our listeners sent, uh, I didn't tell you this, and I, we can leave it on the podcast. One of our listeners sent me a very nice Christmas gift. And at the bottom, she wrote a little note saying how much she enjoyed the podcast. And at the bottom, she wrote, I didn't send one to Mark because I thought you could fight about it on air. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and of course, you kept it. And it's I I it. February, I kept it. I'm just fighting about the Christmas gift because you didn't want to share
1: Exactly. <laughs> now you know. Anyway, folks, thanks for listening. Don't hesitate to share your comments with us. Read the Substack. We'll have some more. Thanks for being here.
0: Talk to you next week. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehellatai.org.
1: Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D
0: Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C.